Hey, it's Maz. Are you tired of small inconveniences that always turn into big headaches at home? Well, my friends at Rodenizer Home Services can make small fixes like repairing leaky faucets, adding or replacing electrical outlets and lights, or clearing slow drains that will provide big comfort for your home. And with over 10,000 five-star reviews, Rodenizer's expert technicians are just a call away and ready to fix those inconveniences at your home. Experience the difference with Rodenizer Home Services. Visit Rodenizer.com to schedule today. That's Rodenizer Home Services. Nice people. Great service since 1928. Welcome back to the Sports Hub Underground. This is Matt Dolph. I'm here with Ty Anderson as we are every single week at 985thesportshub.com. And as you can, every week you can get us on Apple Podcasts slash iTunes, you know, uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I didn't know anyone actually used Google Podcasts. We got, we got some uh, listeners out there. Um, so thanks for listening. And you can get us at all those platforms. If you want to subscribe, get us every single Thursday. Um, so, Ty, how are you? What's going on? Eh, not much. You know, I always like to look at the numbers and, uh, you know, who's listening on what and who's listening from where. Uh, I I feel I, I don't think this has happened yet. I, I I haven't gone back through every single episode, but I'm pretty sure we still have not gotten at least one listener from all seven NHL Canadian cities, and that's you know that's sort of a goal of mine. Uh, we we didn't get Montreal or Calgary last week, unfortunately, um, but we've gotten them before. It's just that's why it's frustrating. We can't. We always get like four or five. We can't get all seven. So get on that Canadian NHL fans. What the hell? We got to market ourselves in in Canada a little more. I think. You're like the opposite Gary Bettman, where this guy doesn't want to be in Canada, and you're meanwhile trying to hit every Canadian city you can. You're like, I want to expand to Saskatoon and, and Quebec City, Halifax. Think, we, oh, we we have Halifax listeners. We have at least one loyal listener in Halifax every single week. Uh, we got listeners in Hamilton. Like we do, we we do have uh, listeners in all those like random uh, Canadian cities, like Saskatoon, like you mentioned, and, you know, Moose Jaw or whatever. Um, but we. No, it's just we, funny we, though that you like. You know, you're not even worried about the American cities. You're like, no, 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 no. We want to be well, above it, which I, well, I'm okay with. No, I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I, I, you know, I got French Canada in my blood. I'm a little French Canadian. You know, I got mm-hmm. relatives that came from uh, Nova Scotia. So it's a little, you get some roots there. Uh, hockey in my blood and all that stuff. So, I mean, yeah, I like the, I like the Canadians. You know, I like, I like those the nice people from, from my experience. I know, it's I funny. Haven't, I haven't been every there in 20 I do, years, but, you know. Every time I do Canadian radio, I get off the phone and my first thought is, Man, they're all so nice. When they're like crapping all over you. I'm like, well, that was a nice, nice interview. That was a nice podcast. So come out of a very uh, pleasant and then someone else listens to us. You didn't hear this guy own you? It's like, what no? He he, he lulled me to sleep with his with his kindness. He hypnotized me. Uh, have you yeah, have you been uh, to Canada? Oh, uh, not in twenty years. Not as an no. adult. I, I went for a hockey tournament one year. We got I'm pretty sure we got killed because we weren't mm-hmm. allowed to hit. And we had at least a couple people on the team were like, that's what they did. So it's like, that was, that was tough on us. We had, we had those Canadians, those little Canadian kids who can't speak English, uh, you know, skating circles around us. And we can't even chirp them because they're just like, huh? So, right. uh, but it was, it was a fun trip for, you know, a 14 year old is as much fun as you could have. I know there was, there were stories I wasn't involved in this, but there were stories of other kids like trying to get into the strip clubs and stuff. Uh, I think they would like, they would like, try, it's funny. Like they would walk, 
like sort of from the angle of the security, they're behind a guy walking in, but they're like side by side. So it's like it's almost like some little rascals thing. It's like doop, 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 like tiptoeing in, and they're like hidden or like hiding in a bush or something. It's like did that bush just move? Like that sort of thing. Uh, there was some shenanigans going on, but um, it was mainly like we would stay. We we do like uh, I don't know I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but like you if you stay at a hotel for a field trip or a hockey trip or whatever, then you're going to get into some shenanigans like in the hotel, you know, running the halls. And, and doing calling other people's rooms, doing doing God knows what. So we got into that sort of mischief. I thought you were about um, to ask me if I've ever stayed in a hotel. I'm like, yes, Matt, I've stayed in a hotel. Do you before. know? Do you know these things called? <laughs> hotels? I've never done this. You sleep I in mean, a bed that isn't yours. <laughs> hotels are like, <laughs> are they making a comeback? I don't know. They, I, I, I imagine they didn't do too well over the last couple of years. Hotels, uh, the last so. hotel I stayed at was at Chicago. Was in Chicago. It was right in in uh, downtown. Uh, and it was highly affordable. I couldn't believe how affordable it was, which maybe speaks to the industry as a whole. Uh, I hope they come back. I, I like hotels. I, I like, I'm a weird person. I like airports and I like hotels. And it's, it's, it's one of those things where I, I just really enjoy that, uh, traveling aspect and, uh, hotel like, beds, it, hotel beds are like universally very comfortable. I feel Right. One yeah. thing that no hotel. I've never had a hotel say, "Well, they got the bed wrong." They're always usually very comfortable compared to what you get to deal with at your apartment. You know, I the like worst hotel I ever stayed in. Old mattress. The worst hotel I ever stayed in was in Virginia. Conversely, the best hotel I ever stayed in was in Virginia as well. But the but the huh. the one on the way back, we did like a road trip. We went all the way down to uh, like Georgia and turned around, cut up through Tennessee um, and Pennsylvania, and came back. We did like two week, like a two week road trip. Um, and we stayed in Virginia twice. The one, the one, the way back. I don't know if it's because I wanted to be home by that point so badly, or if it was just it just smelled like it was like it just felt like old cigarettes. Like the hotel room just felt like what what an old cigarette would be if it were a hotel room. Uh, and it was just not it was not great. That's probably the worst one I ever had. The bed like creaked, sounded like really? you know, yeah. Jeez, yeah, no. I, I think it was the bed really that old... all of Charlie Bucket's family slept in, in yeah. and Charlie Charlie Ch- Factory. Oh, God. Oh jeez! But then you tell him there's. Do you tell Grandpa Joe there's chocolate and he pops right up? Yeah, <laughs> starts doing yeah. a dance. Being what? I thought you were thirty years. <laughs> I thought you couldn't walk anymore. That is a funny right. joke. I, I don't know who like originally pointed that out, but that that got me so bad when I first saw that meme. That like this this guy gets up. This guy has the gall to get up and start doing a dance and skipping around and singing songs. Just right. to, for, after sitting around for forty years because you told him he has a golden ticket to. It's a freaking chocolate. Um, very disturbing film. Will he walk in the chocolate factory? Uh, how the hell did we get to this point? I, li- I love I that we know. go on tangents like this. It's probably best that we get the tangents out of the way early in the pod. Um, it's true. You know, get, the, get the listeners all buttered up. Because um, now, because we got to get into the hardcore sports talk. This being a 985thesportshub.com podcast. Um, but yeah, it started because I brought up the, the our listeners in Canada. Um, we still haven't gotten all seven Canadians. Says we're gonna get it one of these days. It's, it's my it's it's my uh, white whale or my golden goose, so to speak, uh, the golden egg for another Willy Wonka reference. But um, I guess we can start getting into the the Bruins, and uh, you know where we're gonna start there, Ty. Why? What's up? What's happening? Uh, you know. Ooh, was, oh, oh uh, yeah, yeah, great, Ty. This Can't is a wait. first, Ty. This is a first for the pod. It's a first for our careers. Um, this is a very this is a watershed moment for you and I. Um, we are about to, for the very first time ever, say that Tuukka Rask did not play well. 
So I, right, I admit it. I admit it. He did not play well. Now I, we, we need to share this out on Twitter as soon as, as soon as this pod is done. Might even be a preview clip or something because we need to, we need to let the people know. Breaking news: Ty Anderson of 985thesportsup.com, along with Matt Dolph on the Sports Up Underground, have admitted that Tuukka Rask did not play well in a hockey game. So uh, we can get into the details of that game against the Anaheim Ducks if you want, Ty. Um, but it's obvious that Tuukka was not playing well in that game. He let a, uh, he had an easy chance to stop a shorthanded bid, but it trickled right through his pads. So, I mean, that was a bad one. That That was a whole uh, team breakdown, but uh, definitely a bad play by Tuukka. And there were multiple plays where it looked like he had clean looks at the puck, high slot, in the slot, uh, stop, very stoppable pucks going right by him. And so it was a bad night for him. There's, there's no question about that. And he's not off to a, a good start overall. And it's just funny. Like, I, I, I forget if we talked about this on the pod or if it was just an off-air t- topic. It's like, it does feel like the fans have an amnesia, uh, not, not just with Tuka Rask, but with the way they think we talk about Tuka Rask. Because, like, you, I'm, like, you tweeted something like, oh, that was a bad one for Rask, or that was an ugly night for Rask. He's, Rask is up to a slow it's something that was like, you know, an obvious truth. Everyone that watched knows that he was not good and he's not to a slow start here. But you get these people replying to you like, oh, my God, I can't, I can't believe you said that, Ty. This, this is a great – this is a major breakthrough for you, Ty. And you're like, what? No. If he doesn't play yeah. well, I say he doesn't play well. It's not, this isn't the first time I've said this. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 I had people, I had people saying to me, I said he played poorly. And I got people being like, "What's your excuse? What's your excuse tonight?" I'm like, "I don't know. I just said he played poorly. What are you? What are you talking about? Why are you? Why are you being weird?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like when, and then whenever you come out and say he played well, or it's like, guys, I think you're you're being a little unfair to him. I you, you know that 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 game against Carolina particularly was like the whole team, uh, the whole team played absolutely terribly, and there were at least two or three goals in there where it's like, what do you expect any goalie? to do in that spot. This one was an obvious bad game for Tuca, but like you would come out and say, guys, he wasn't that bad or he actually played well tonight. And you get people responding like, Ty, why are you doing this? Why, why are you right. going to, why are you going to, why you got to be nice to Tuca like that? Um, yeah. But yeah, no, we don't have to be nice to Tuca after that last game against the Ducks. It was bad. It was a bad night. Um, so I don't, but, but this is, this is the whole preamble to, uh, to you, uh, Definitely pointing out, again, Ty, three steps ahead of everyone else watching the Bruins, it feels like. Tuka's always been a slow starter. He's always had a slow start. And a first bad first month is what we can call it because, you know, it's even like the shortened season or whatever. It's not always at the same time. But in this particular case, his first month is in January, and he's having a bad January. And, you know, it, it, it's not looking good right now, but it's but it's predictable. So, so I mean, do you have a what? What are your thoughts on that? I think I've talked enough. Yeah, I would. I would say that it's it's it, it's this is the slowest start yet, right? And so the obvious qualifier here is that this is the first time he's come off major surgery um, with this kind of turnaround. He had groin surgery in 2017. Uh, and he wasn't horrible out of the gate, but he was he was slow. But that wasn't as major a surgery as this one is so you'll you'll expect it a little bit uh i think the biggest thing for me is just his timing is off his his timing is not there um i i think his rhythm is not there uh you can see that he's trying to make plays he's trying to uh he, he's trying to like get the comfort he's trying to iron it out he's trying to figure out what it is he can and can't do right now like that shorthanded goal 
does that happen in in uh like does that happen in uh let's say March? I would hope not, right? I mean right. that that's, this goes on for another two months. I mean, yeah, obviously, yeah, of course. Yeah. So it like there are things that I like and there are also moments where he makes a, a good save where you're like, oh, okay, that's a sign of progress. But you haven't seen enough to be like, I'm comfortable with where he is right now. I'm comfortable with where where his game is trending. It seems like there's been no. two steps forward and three steps back pretty much consistently throughout this. Like like for example, like the goal he gave up against Winnipeg last uh, last week, that first goal, gotta save that one. He gets a piece of it, trickles through. It's a bad goal, but he rebounds from there. He rebounds. He, the only goal he gives it back for that is a deflection off Vaca nine and skate and in. He stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he effectively stops uh, 21 of the next 23, 22 shots he faces, you know, real shots, not not deflections off a teammate. Like that's that's what you want, right? Like you, so, you know, there's progress there, but then nights like Monday are a step back and you go, geez, I don't, I don't know what it is. I think ultimately right now he has, he has, uh, he has uh, one bad game, two solid games, and a game that I kind of throw out the window, that Carolina game, because no one looked good in that game. So it's kind of like a burn-the-tape kind of game. So yeah. you got to see more, right? We're, we're at the halfway point, and he's effectively given you – the halfway point of his uh, season, his, his trial run here, his four games. We've seen two pretty solid games. you got to see more than that, I think, you know, to, to believe that he's the guy – uh, for the playoffs, because you were getting good goaltending from Swayman and Allmark beforehand. Like the tandem was working, right? It wasn't perfect, no, but it was winning you games. So you need more than a 500 winning percentage from Tuca to to and and you need some some more comfort in his game before you're comfortable saying he's back. He looks good, you know, and, and you no, ride with it's him. not. No, he's definitely not like back or whatever. Whatever you would even define that. Uh, but he, whatever, whatever, however you would define back, he's definitely not that yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that's why people people are frustrated because Jeremy Swayman is down in, in Providence. But I mean, that that's just another thing where that that you've talked about before. It's just you can't be surprised that that he got sent down. Like he's not, he didn't do enough to just to justify that we can never send him down again. He doesn't, he doesn't need any more time. He's fine. He's up here. But at the same time, I mean, he could have, he probably you could argue that he, he would have had a better chance of playing well against the Ducks in that game. I mean, let's let, you can't look at most of those goals and be like, well, what did you want? What did you think? Swayman would have stopped that? It's like, well, I don't know. Maybe. Uh, you could do – there's goals there that you expect an NHL starting goalie to, to, to stop. Um, but, yeah, well, did I miss something where, like, they someone said, like, we're going to give him eight games and then reassess? Was that an official thing? Or is that just sort of like an estimate what, of eight? how long – the eight, eight games the eight is what games. they it's what they feel like he he needs to get into rhythm um and then they'll go from there i don't think they're going to like wave him if he if like he sucks in those eight games but they just may say all right we're going to give Linus two out of the three now and and see what he can do and we'll let you work through this uh i i think really the big i think the big problem is just that that covid cancellation down in province killed him it just it, it killed him because he really needed to get into rhythm with sort of what the Bruins would consider consequence free games. But I do think these for the most part kind of are at the same time, like the Bruins are well above the playoff line. They have games in hand. The only team that I look at in the East and say they could maybe make it interesting. uh, That's below the Bruins. I would say the Islanders because they also have played very few games. They played better of late, but their schedule gets real difficult uh, in about a month from now. So 
it's you know the Islanders would need to go on like a St. Louis Blues esque run where they're just they're just white hot from from January on. Right. right. I was going to ask no you. Them. I was going to ask you. I thought like I was looking at the standings and the point percentages and the games in hand and all that, and I, it seems like the eight teams in the Eastern Conference are pretty much set. So, but you're saying barring like an epic run by the Islanders, they pretty much are, and it's just a matter of who's seated where. Is that the case? Yeah, yeah. Like if they if if. Yeah, you basically if for the Bruins to not make the playoffs, you need two things to happen. You need uh you need them to go on like a 2015-2016 collapse basically where they just go like 2 and 10 to finish the year. Yeah. And you need that to to converge with an Islanders team that's going like 8 and 3. You know, so you need a lot of things to kind of happen uh just based on how it looks right now. Uh, I don't really see it happening personally. I think the Islanders team is just the way they play. Uh, when we get into the nitty gritty of the season, the way they play is just so hard to do over 82 games, right? And I think we're seeing the residual effect this season of doing that for two deep playoff runs back to back and with a compressed schedule, right? I think we're seeing some of the effects of of, of that with that Islanders team this year. Um, so I think the Bruins are, are in a good spot. The Bruins are going to add between now and the deadline. It's just a matter of who and and, and where they target it. Uh, so help more help is on the way for this team. Uh, so I think that, you know, you give Tuka eight games to figure it out. That's fine. You can afford that right now. And, and listen, he has been great, but he's still gotten you two wins. So you're not going to, you shouldn't go two and six. You should go four and four, five and three, four and four or three and five at the very worst. That's very worst. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm I'm truthfully not worried. I t- talk to me though after game eight though, and and I'll be like, Ooh, I don't know if you can go to this guy or or whatever. Right. Just yeah. Just to circle back to Tuga before we get get into the the, the trade deadline stuff. Um. So you think there's a chance that he's just that he if he can't figure it out if he if he's that bad that they just they just they waive him or they they let him go and they say no right, no no I I don't think I don't think he'd be I think they stick, stick with, with him. On the team right. Yeah yeah, but I don't think he'd be like your bona fide number one starting option or your your go-to guy. Like I think this year more than ever, they are embracing the idea of competition, right? That okay. that you're this gonna have to earn is, your minutes. Yeah, like this is where I want to talk the Bruin the some Bruins fans off the ledger. It's where like they might be worried that they're just gonna keep rolling Tuka Rask out there and he's gonna keep giving up three, four goals a night and they're just not gonna change anything. But you yeah. you think it's he does need to keep performing or they're just gonna he'll be he'll be a backup or a one A, one B type. Yeah, definitely. I, I and I mean, he himself has said this. Like, I think there's a, I think there's a misconception out there with Duca. I really do that people think that like he demands things. No, if he sucks, he's gonna say to you, "Hey, I, I don't have it. I suck." Like, you gotta, you gotta do something else. Like, he's, he's not like, he's not gonna say like, "I, well, what do you mean? I want to like put me in there right now." Like, yeah, like I think what happened last year when he said, "Hey, I'm good enough to play." Okay, that was enough. That's enough. When when he was playing the way he was playing for those first seven playoff games, if he tells you I'm good enough to play, you play him. You play him. He had a 935 save percentage of the first seven games of the playoffs. Why would you take that out? If he says to you, I'm good to go, you're going to go, okay, your numbers bear that out that you, you're, you're good to go. I, I'm going to believe you. It wasn't you got to put him in or we're going to riot. No, it's that he said he was good enough to play, and his teammates went, yeah, he looks good enough to play. So they made the decision. It wasn't he. It, he didn't say I am. I am playing, or I'm going to go on. I'm going to go online and tell everyone all these dirty little secrets. No, he just said I'm, I feel good enough. But people think he's like this. Like he demands these things. No, if he sucks, he's going to be the first guy to say, 
Hey, I suck. I don't got it. I don't have it. I got to figure it out. Don't put me did. in there if, if 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 I don't got it. He did. He did come out after that game, or the, yeah. or the morning after, or whatever it was. And said, "I'm not. I'm, obviously, I haven't been good enough." You know, and it's like yeah. it is obvious, but it's it's good to hear. It's one of those things where it's like it's good to hear him say it, even though it's obvious. You know, so right. Yeah. yeah no. He, mean, and that's the thing. He like he he flat out said it as well, along with that quote that you just mentioned. He said, "We can't we can't waste games." to get me up to speed. So he knows it. Like he knows that he's against the clock here. So if he sucks, he's good. He's going to be the first person to say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to figure this out on my own and, and put me in when you can and see if I can win back the trust, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Like you make a good point about the Providence thing. I don't know if that, I don't know if that was enough to ruin his whole development, but it would have been nice to give him some time down there before throwing him right in at the NHL level. But um, okay. Uh, I think we've exhausted the, the Tuca talk for, this week because we're you know, we're gonna we're gonna this, yeah we're there's gonna there's always gonna be something to talk about with him I, I think as long as he's here and playing and all that but um yeah we are gonna get into the trade deadline stuff that you mentioned but uh first we're just gonna take a quick break here we'll be right back Hey, it's Maz. Are you tired of small inconveniences that always turn into big headaches at home? Well, my friends at Rodenizer Home Services can make small fixes like repairing leaky faucets, adding or replacing electrical outlets and lights, or clearing slow drains that will provide big comfort for your home. And with over 10,000 five-star reviews, Rodenizer's expert technicians are just a call away and ready to fix those inconveniences at your home. Experience the difference with Rodenizer Home Services. Visit Rodenizer.com to schedule today. That's Rodenizer Home Services. Nice people great service since 1928 all right uh, we got multiple nhl trade deadline things to talk about here and uh you hinted at uh you know the bruins are going to add so like what do you, we've we've given our opinions about what we we want them to add what we think they should add. what do you think they actually are going to add at the trade deadline well i think their number one need is a right shot defenseman i said this last year and i'll say it again they're not deep enough there Oh, oh they, need a, they need a left shot, Ty. They need a left shot. Yeah, yeah, you need a left. Yeah, you need you need a ninth left shot defenseman. Uh, I I just look <laughs> they, at they it. They need and, one for the ninth floor. <laughs> yeah, it, and it's just like that. That depth there is very thin. Is extremely thin. I mean, you're you're an injury or two away from having to play Tyler Lewington in the playoffs, or Who? or moving John Moore to his right side. Like, like sorry, sorry yeah, to yell at you. <laughs> I just did this. Uh, Lewington, yeah, oh. yeah. I mean, it's yeah. It, it's just so they're not deep enough there. I think what you're seeing from Eric Halla is giving you a little bit of pause when it comes to needing a second line center. Now, is it sustainable long term? Not sure, but this is kind of why you sign a guy like him, right? You 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 sign him with the hopes that you put him with two superstar wingers uh, like Taylor Hall and David Pasternak, and that he's kind of like he's good by default almost, right? Not to say he doesn't play a yeah. part in that line, but like. You put him with two guys like that, he's going to have opportunities to make plays. And right. Well, that's, that's right what I've now always, he's making them. That's what I've always said about Bergeron and Martian. It's like you don't have to have your, all your best fours on one line. You know, it's, it's, you just base it around a duo, base it around the pair of Bergeron and Martian. And, you know, like Craig Smith looked fine with them. Even Jake DeBrusque was started producing. Well, that was Bergeron and Smith. But yeah, like, do you put Bergeron and Martian together? I feel like anyone, just about like anyone would work with them. And, you know, I'm not, I don't know that I'd say the same about Taylor Hall and Pasternak, but, like, you should be able to, to be okay with, like, you know, just a decent center, center between those two guys. Those two guys are talented enough, I think, to be the scorers of that, you know, drivers of that line. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and again, that's why you sign guys like that, because it, it, you save some money, theoretically, right, to address other needs. 
because you're able to put, you know, economical players, right? Maybe that's the best way to describe them, like in these high profile spots and they can carry it. I mean, like I think about that with the lightning, that's been a big part of lightning success over the last, you know, five, six years. Like, like they were able to put, they put Alex Kalorn in these spots before that, they were putting uh, Vladdy Domestikov. They were putting Ryan Callahan. Like, you're putting these guys who they are solid hockey players, but you put them with a superstar, and now they're elevating their own game as well. So yeah, exactly. it is part Excellent. of it, right? I think I think all good teams do it, with the exception of the Oilers. The Oilers can't seem to do it. Everyone they get from McDavid and Dreisaitl is like, I suck. I'm sorry. I'm not, I'm not good. I'm not very good at all. Um, it's like they but, suck but, the talent out of their teammates because they, they have, like, a life force that sucks all the talent out of everybody else. Oh, it's unbelievable. Their talent is like a planet that just like eats other planets. But you look at like, like you look at some of the names that are out there or could be out there and you're like, man, I don't know if you need this per se, but like a a guy, like for example, Clojure, that's a guy I look at and say, I would make room for him. I don't know if you necessarily need him, but I would make room for a guy like that because of. Yeah, sorry. Finish. Yeah. No, I was going to say, he he's just one of these guys that, like, he's a right-shot center who's done his best work with players like Pasternak, who can shoot the puck. He's a dominant face-off option. You can put him out there in all situations. And I just think that's a guy who could... I mean, if you brought him in here and he liked it here, like Taylor Hall did, that's a great Bergeron retirement insurance policy. To be like, well, we got Claude Giroux, and he might like it here. Yeah, so you can sign him and keep him. He's a good five or six years younger than Bergeron, right? He's not too much. He's not. Too I think he's like he's three or four. I want to say he's four. thirty-four. He's kind of one he's of these. He's young. one of those guys who's been sneaky around forever. Like, oh he, yeah, he's been around a while now. Yeah, his big coming out party was the twenty ten playoffs against the Bruins, right? That he that was kind of like his big moment uh, for Philly. So he's he's getting a little bit older. Um, he's not, you know, he's not ancient, but look at his numbers, man. Like these last few years, like he's kind of quietly still produced at a high level oh i mean if you put that i mean i was just going to make the simplest possible comment you put him between taylor hall and david posner you have as good of a front a top six as anyone in the league i think you got everyone healthy there yeah so yeah and, i and love especially, the idea especially you know because Halla, i thought looked good with charlie Coyle, and Halla was playing left wing and Coyle was at center i liked that complexion so if you did that and, and you have the right line as is either steen or felino the right side of that line, a senior, like that's a good top nine. Like that's, that's a, that's a, that's a good top nine for your team where it has a bit of everything. Right. But mainly you're back to your core principles as a, as a team, uh, which is being deep down the middle, which is what this team is, has always wanted to be when they've gone on deep runs deep down the middle. It's what they were in 2011, 2013, 2019. Uh, so to get back to that, I think would, would be a, a, a huge boost for this team as well. Uh, so he's a guy, but I, Listen, the Ducks were in town uh, on Monday night. That team has so much friggin' talent, and they have so many guys that, like, I look at and go, I mean, I wish they were bad because the Bruins could use that. Like, that'd be, like, Hampus Lindholm would be a guy. I'm like, ah, he'd be a nice fit for your team. Oh, uh, he didn't play on, on, on Monday because he's in COVID protocol, but Josh Manson, right? Six foot three, right shot defenseman would be perfect for that third pairing. Um, mm-hmm. Ryan Getzlaff is another one. Ricard Raquel. Uh, they have so many guys that you look at and you say they would make sense to the Bruins, but they are, they're knocking on the door for first place in the division. So are they going to be selling? Right. Probably not. No, but the, yeah, no, they have to trade for uh, Andre Kasha and whoever else they've gotten from the ducks. 
uh, when they suck. That's the, the, of course. They didn't, they, didn't they, they way too long when they actually get good and they actually have players they could use. Nah, never mind. Can't do it anymore. Right. Um, yeah. So that, so that sort of ruined it. Because they, they were a common trade partner, right? I'm trying to think. It's not just the Kasha trade. Haven't they made like a – or am I thinking of they made the Richie trade. The they, they made the Kasha trade, trade and the Richie trade within a week Red, of each Richie, other. Richie, right. You know, and, and I think that the Bruins tend to like the way that Anaheim is built um, in terms of like what they prioritize drafting-wise, style-wise. So I think that that also makes them a similar or favorable matchup for them in terms of like being trade partners. Uh, so, you know, that makes sense. I mean – Beyond that, the the trade that Sweeney has made the most deals with, I believe, is Jeff Gordon, who's now in Montreal. Montreal sucks, though, and has nobody that I really want. If I'm the Bruins, unless they're going to trade you Josh Anderson, which they're not, like, I, I don't really see the point in dealing with them. Uh, their best option, Ben Sherratt, is a left-shot defenseman. You don't need more of those, in my opinion. So it, it's it's just like it, – it's funny that the the common trade partners are either too good now or they don't have anything you want. Of course, um, but like it's you said, right shot defenseman. I mean, who is there? Is is that Chickering kid from Coyotes? Is he a right shot? I don't. Is, do you, I mean, is there any truth to the, the the Bruins keep coming up in trade talks with that with Jacob Chickering? I mean, do you think there's any legitimacy to that? Do you think that's a possibility? There's legitimacy to that. Uh, he is a left shot. He's but also he, but, un- he'd still, like, but he but he'd be an impact. Defense, like, he would. He for would this, for so, this defense. He'd be right now. I don't know if you've. I don't know if you've watched the Coyotes this year at all. They are a nightmare. No. They're. They are. They are just horrendous. And people will look at his number, uh, namely the minus thirty something, and be like, "Oh my god!" And like, no, you don't want him. No, no, you want him. He's really good. Now the problem is, however, dealing with the Coyotes is like punching yourself in the face again and again and again. They are not a fun team to deal with because of their financial financial situation. They are asking for the moon for all their players. They want cheap things. They want first round picks. They want like look at if you get a chance, go to Cap Friendly and look look at their like draft pick hoarding. It's unbelievable. They have like they have like twelve of like the first uh, ninety picks for like the next like two drafts. I think it's something crazy like that where you're just like, wait, how do they do that? Like think of like like the scam they pulled. When the Bruins tried getting Oliver Ekman Larson, right, and they had some talks there, it was like it, they they weren't negotiating from this planet. It was like, wait, you want all that for Oliver Ekman Larson, and you're not going to eat more than a million dollars? Like, no, that's no, we're not doing that. Thank you, though. Thank you. We're all set. And and then you see what they did with Dvorak, Christian Dvorak, right from the Canadiens. Yep. They get a first round pick for him. They swindle the Canadians right there. My goodness, what a terrible trade. Uh, Dvorak's been awful, I think. So, you know, you look at that, like, they are they are not a fun team to trade with right now. So, and I think that's been made clear that, like, they are uh, just not, like, it's just very difficult to make a trade with them. And I believe it was Jeff Merrick who said that he believes that a team offered two former first-round picks and a current first-round pick. Doesn't that just sound like the Bruins? Like, doesn't that sound like DeBrusque, Vakaninen, and a first-round pick this year, right? And yeah. like, well, I mean, that's the kind of pit, that's the trade offer that someone would call into our station to me. Like, why don't we just take all three, like all of our big struggling players, and and right. throw in a second-round pick, and then they can give us their best player. I think, why don't we do that? 
It's the old, uh, it's the new version of uh, Chris Kelly, Jordan Caron, and the second round pick for your superstar. That's basically yeah, yeah, exactly. Which yeah. Was, that was the go-to trade package for everybody from like 2011 through like 14. Was like just trade him Caron Kelly in a second. It's like, <laughs> nobody, nobody wants that man. That's not a good offer. The offer stinks. And they're like, fine, fine. Throw in Koklachev. I'm like, that's even worse. You're making it worse well, somehow. Would the, would the Sabres take Stavnika for Eichel? Stavnika <laughs> and a third, maybe? Throw in a third. Yeah. It's so, I don't know. Uh, with, with, with the Coyotes, the coyotes. I'm, for, I'm, I'm firmly team go to hell. I, I, like, <laughs> you're negotiating from that's a, you be, have uh, no leverage. I'm going to make a hashtag, team go to hell. You, like you can't, you can't even pay your rent in your building, and you're out here trying to like demand things. Like, no, go away, go, 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 pay your rent. Leave me I alone. Picture, I picture you go to the GM's office, and he's like Charlie Kelly from Always Sunny, like digging through a dumpster, trying to find the next <laughs> trade piece. He pulls out like an old string. I was like, look at, look at that, look at this. <laughs> and he finds like, an Alibaba sword. You, you can't walk because the floor is just covered in garbage. It's like, yeah, it's just you, like you run an NHL team. What is going on here? It's like, give me a break, man. Like, I, I just, I don't know. I just. Ugh. Is that a live coyote in your office? What is going on here? Oh, I just, out. I wonder, I just. So here's the, like, but here's the problem for them though, right? Like they don't have like, or I shouldn't say they, like the trade market isn't teeming with like surefire defensive options. And I'm like, oh, this makes sense for the Bruins. Like you should want this guy. Uh like one of your better options at right D is Justin Braun from the Flyers, right? Because he's he's a, he's a UFA. They're going nowhere fast. Like like that would make sense. But like, does he make you that much better? I I don't know. Like like he's you know he's six foot two, two hundred two hundred five pounds. So like that that part of it helps. But like I I don't know. Like I I, I just I I don't know with him because. It, I, I don't see enough of him to be like, that's a game-changing player. Maybe they don't need right. that, I don't, right? I, but, I don't know enough about Braun to, to, to say either yeah. way, but yeah. I, the thing I noticed about him when I watch him play is he blocks shots, which is, which is helpful, right? And, All right, and, I'm in. Yeah, like, so if you're looking for that, like, what's the price? And if you're in a bidding war for Justin Braun, I'm going to be a very sick boy because I don't, <laughs> I don't think he want that. Um, so, I mean, so like, so you don't think that something like a Giroux trade, you think a number two center, even if it's not Giroux, do you think maybe they would take the plunge on that? Or do you think it's really more about the defense? I think it's probably more about the defense, right? Because that's what, that's what kills them every year is that they lose three defensemen. And all of a sudden you got, you got Lord knows who playing defense for you. So I think that's like the big problem. I think that's where they're going to target and that's where they're going to focus, uh, a lot of their attention. At least that's what I would do. I mean, Vakanainen has been good, right? He's mainly right, positive. Yeah. Can we can we can we switch gears to Vakanainen before we move on? Because um, yeah, like because we're talking about him being a potential trade piece, but it feels like he might finally be sort of developing into like a viable NHL defenseman, which is like it's, at this point you'll take it, right? Like I, I get he was a mid first round pick, and like you hope that he's he could someday someday be like a franchise guy. Um, and like, who knows if he'll ever be, you know, even like first first pair in caliber? I don't because he might not score enough to really that be that guy. He's more of a defensive guy, so maybe he'll settle in as a second pairing guy. But like, if he can, if he can just be an NHL defenseman, that that would be good uh, compared to how their drafts have gone. And like, you'll take like anything at this point. So I mean, I don't know how. Like, how do you feel about? I know he had a bad turnover in that Carolina game, but like overall, you feel pretty good about what he's been uh, so far in this like this latest 
extent? Yeah, I, I think I think you sort of have to because he actually looks like an NHL player, right? And that's what I mean. And yeah. I, I always said like that, like out there. Yeah, I always said that if he could be like if he could be Nicholas Jarmelson, that'd be awesome. Like that was always like yeah. my like high end. Guy, yeah. Yeah, like my, that was always my high end projection for him. Like, if he can be Jarmelson, where he's playing in a top four role, but not like a not as like a go to guy, but a defensive guy who could make some plays offensively, that'd be awesome, right? Like, can he be that? I I, I don't know. I, I think watching him now, I'm I'm probably cooler on that than I than I were than I was say three years ago, four years ago when I first saw him, and that was what my hope was. Um, could he be a left handed Carlo, like a left shot version of Brandon Carlo? I mean, that's kind of I think what they hope. Ideally, I mean, he's got a little bit Who more stays healthy a little, too. A little bit more pop in his in his offensive game. I, I think. I think that's been the yeah, big he thing for him. A little better than Carlo. I yeah, said. that's the biggest thing with him that I notice is that he just he just he his offensive game is a little bit better than I thought it was, and I think that's been a focus for him. Uh, shooting the puck, making some plays, strong first pass, things of that nature. Where I think I think his foundation is the defensive game, right? Or it was, and they've tried to teach pace into his game. And, and I think you're seeing a little bit more of it as he gets comfortable here. Um, the thing I want to know about him is, can he play the right side though? Can he go full Jake Zaborl and move from the left to the right and be effective there? Because if he can, that maybe lessens the, the need to pay top dollar for a, for a third pairing right D, which I wouldn't want to do. So that's something that when, when the Bruins are fully healthy, uh, when, when Grizzlick and Riley, you know, Riley's back, but when Grizzlick is back as well, um, I want to see if maybe they give Vakanainen a little run here on the right side of a third pairing opposite Derek Forbord or or Mike Riley, whatever they, however they shake that out, and, and maybe see what they have there. Yeah, I mean, try try him wherever you can. I kind of want to keep him up here at this point. I mean, you can put up with the yeah. growing pains like you did with that turnover in the Carolina game, but like you said before, you can just sort of bury that whole game. Everybody kind of sucked in that case. Well, it's I hard think to that's get why he's here, though. In particular. I think I think to your point, I think, this, I think that's why he's here. They want to find out if he can play, or yeah, like enough if, is enough. Let's figure out if this kid can stick. Exactly. Like, but it was like last year as well. Yeah, he'll stick in some regard. It, it seems it's just and if he doesn't, like, you showcase him and you trade him. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, he, I mean, he seems tradable anyway. It seems like he's played at least well enough where someone might look at him and say, "Okay, I'll 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 continue his develop. I'll take this guy from here." Uh, you know, and so like it just takes longer for a de- for a defenseman to to develop, like especially on the defensive end. It's just so such a cerebral position. It seems so simple, but like it's just it's hard to really to to be like refined too early in your career. Even like a guy like Aaron Ekblad from the Panthers, I've probably brought him up before. Like he's finally gotten really good in like the last two years, but he was he's been in the league for like a long time now, and like that's why I love Charlie McAvoy is that like he's already really good and you know he's got the sky's the limit for that kid but even him it's like it, you gotta you gotta be patient with these guys and it was getting concerning there with Vakadina because he could barely crack the lineup but at least now they're finally you know giving him an extended look and it looks like it's finally starting to pay off there so I feel I feel pretty good about that but yeah no but they could use something like that on the right side going forward because the right side after McAvoy of course is sort of uh, I don't know. I don't know the right word for it, but it's sort of stagnated in terms of like freshness. Uh, yeah, young guys coming up and, and you know new developments. You know, like Carlo Clifton hasn't had of, a great year. Carlo's not having a good year. Clifton sort of is what he is. Um, 
So, I mean, they could use an infusion there. Yeah, it's just a matter of who it is. And and does it make sense financially, uh, cost-wise, right, in terms of what you're giving up versus some other needs you may have? Uh, I I do think that the Bruins always want to get a little bit nastier, right, on the third line. And when I say that, I, I mean, like, think about how long they've been looking for this guy, right? Like, it started with Bolesky, David Backus, uh, uh, Nick Ritchie, Brett Ritchie. <laughs> I, like, like, I don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, like they, like they, they always try to find the, like Felino. They always try to find this guy who can play that heavier brand of hockey on the wing, on somewhere in their third line, and it really hasn't worked out. But it's always been something that they've they've wanted to do. So, do they try to flip the brusque for something that they think can address that part of their game as well? So. I mean, we'll see. I, I just, I, I think that with them, it's just, it, it's, they're not in a position to turn down help from anywhere in the lineup. It's just a matter of what are you trading? What can you give up? And what is, what is the deadline cost, right? Like what, like, what are the options out there? But I think that, I think they're looking everywhere, but my focus would be D. That's just me though. No, I agree. I think a lot of people would agree with you. Um, yeah, it's, it is a tough spot for them to be in just because they haven't drafted well. And so like, you don't, it wouldn't feel great to be trading more first or second round picks away because you would like to see them maybe try to keep making picks and hopefully hit on someone. But, um, you know, if, the, if they think they could make a run, I mean, like I'm not, you can't rule out that they could make a, a deep run because that it just happens in Nokia like that. You don't have to be the number one seed and you could be a wild card and make a run anyway. Home ice doesn't matter all that much in the end. So, so uh, I, have, we'll I, have a question, I have a question for you regarding the playoffs. What's that? Would you rather be in a bracket that features the Panthers, Lightning, and Leafs? Or would you rather be in a bracket that features the Hurricanes, Penguins, and Rangers? Based on what you've seen this year. Uh, The first one. You think so? I don't want to face Carolina. I mean, is that the wrong answer? Yeah. No, I don't think it's the wrong answer. (laughs) I I mean, it's weird, right? Because I (laughs) I flip-flop every other day where I look at the Metro and I go, you could beat those teams. But then I see what Pittsburgh has done since like December. They're unbelievable. They've been unbelievable since December. Like they're like, they're like 18 and two, I think since, since the start of last month, it's something insane like that. Um, so they've been incredible. Carolina is, is, is a machine right now. The Rangers beat you when you face them earlier this year. So, and then I look at, I look at Tampa, they lost some people and you beat them five, two. And the other game was an overtime loss. So you've hung with them this year. Toronto is Toronto and Florida might be in that Tampa situation now where you can't believe them until they actually, you can't believe it until they actually do it. Right. Cause they have a talent, but they've never done it. So it, I flip flop every other week. What's, what's the best bracket for them to land into if they're a wild card team. Uh, so it's, that's something to watch too down the stretch. We well, know, what's a, good, a better draw for them. I mean, that's a good problem to have, I suppose, where it's not like, well, I hope they don't end up in the group of death, you know, like either way you're going to, Right. Every each thing has its own challenges. So yeah, that is something to watch for. Uh but you know, don't don't be too afraid, Bruins fans. They're probably gonna make the playoffs. It just it's gonna it's gonna take like a borderline miracle for someone to knock them out of the playoffs. But um if you want them to get a higher seed, if you really care about that, then I guess you can worry about them playing better. But um otherwise they're gonna get in the playoffs and we'll see what happens from there, see who they add and all that. Plenty of time to talk about that stuff. Um, but we're going to take another quick break here. When we come back, we're going to do the big three time. Uh, this, is a, this is a big, this is a particularly big, big three. 
Uh, we're going to do our personal Hall of Fame. What mm. does that mean? What does mm. that mean, you ask? Just, just please, just, uh, just, just be patient here. We have one quick ad, and we will be right back with the big three. Hey, it's Maz. Since 1928, Rodenizer Home Services has been your trusted local experts for all your plumbing needs. From bathroom and kitchen fixtures to leaking pipes and water heaters, Rodenizer offers you the higher standards of professionalism. When you have questions, Rodenizer has answers, all backed by their 100% customer satisfaction guarantee. Their motto is simple, nice people, great service. So experience the difference today with Rodenizer Home Services. Visit Rodenizer.com to schedule today all right ty time for the big three and and arguably the biggest big three we've done it's time for our own personal hall of fame now why are we bringing up the hall of fame oh obviously the baseball hall of fame just uh released its its 2022 class and that would be only david ortiz so you know congratulations to him obviously anyone who's a boston sports fan has to love david ortiz unless you just hate baseball uh, but David Ortiz, you know, was the face of baseball, the most clutch hitter ever. He deserved to be in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but, you know, they've sort of ruined their whole credibility because now uh, Barry Bonds and Roger Clemens are now off the ballot. So now they can't get in until they're, it's on the Errors Committee, formerly known as the Ver- Veterans Committee. And, you know, it's just a joke. And, like, not that I care that much about who gets in and out of Cooperstown, but it's just stupid. And um, I had a tweet yesterday that I was like, wow. It's unbelievable that, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. and Frank Thomas and Yvonne Rodriguez and Jeff Bagwell, and I, I mentioned at least three or four other guys. You know, I can't believe those guys just did completely clean. How did they, how did they match the, those filthy steroid a-holes, homer for homer? That, that, to me, is the most impressive thing of all, right? You know, like, not sure. only was Ken Griffey Jr. The, the, you know, the most gifted, talented player of his generation, arguably, he, the fact that he hit 56 home runs in consecutive seasons in the late 90s and did it totally clean with, with nothing but good old-fashioned elbow grease, that's just, that's just remarkable to me. You know, and, and people, didn't, people weren't happy with my tweet. I was like, what do you, t- what do you mean? I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just praising the true Hall of Famers, the guys that did it, uh, you know, 100% purely and, and, and just deserve to be in there no matter what. Um, but, yeah, my, I mean, like my point is, like, you, you put in the best players. Who cares what they did or didn't do uh, during that whole tainted, filthy era? You know, we either let them all in or let them, none of them in. And so it's, it's obvious double standard letting David Ortiz in. You let baseball writers vote him in because he was nice to them. And Barry Bonds was an a-hole. So that's, I think that's basically the end of that. But um, that's, my, that's my Baseball Hall of Fame rant. I probably will never speak of this again on, on the Sports of Underground, but. Thank you for indulging me. Um, so, yeah, we're going to do our, our own personal big three here, Ty. This is, this is about as free form as it gets for the big three. Uh, you know, people, things, uh, entities, anything that, that really just had the biggest impact on you as a person growing up, whatever. And this, we're, 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 we're excluding, like, you know, family and friends. So, like, you know, apologies to, to Ty's mom. And like Gary Sharon, or like, hey, that's my Gary. mother. I, I suppose, <laughs> hey, hey, oh, oh, but, but it's the guy's mother. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry, mom. Why is this uh, his song? Uh. No, you, you know, you know the impact you, 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 you have had on our lives. But we're talking about, you know, pop culture history, uh, impact on our careers and our uh, personalities and whatever. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess I'll, I'll start. I'll, I'll get us rolling here. Cool. Uh, here, my first pick tie uh, for my Hall of Fame. MTV. Oh, now uh, people hear MTV now, and it's like, well, that trash. It's not ridiculousness. Not, not you like ridiculousness oh that much? <laughs> not not today's M- MTV. Although I am a fan of Chanel West Coast or whatever her name is. 
Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm talking about the MTV in the, in, particularly in the late 90s, but I guess you could, I mean, it was the same in the late 90s as it was in the 80s, I suppose, the same general thing, uh, where it was more more about the music than anything else, and uh, music videos were such a huge deal back then, and uh, in the late 90s, I watched a lot of MTV, I watched TRL and all that stuff, and it's not that, it's not like the boy band stuff that that, that really got me going, but like MTV is what really got me into you know, like real music, so to speak. It was, uh, I couldn't point to like any particular band, but it was like, it was seeing the music videos in the, in the early to mid nineties from, you know, Green Day, uh, when Aerosmith had their album, Get a Grip and like all the grunge bands. And like, I would, I would sneak into my sister's room and listen to all those CDs, but I'm pretty sure it started because we would just flip on the TV and MTV would be on and do all these crazy music videos. And, you know, sometimes, uh, I would be, uh, I'd, I'd be scared. Like if it was like Marilyn Manson, uh, back in the mm. day, but you know that that left a, a lasting impression on me. And I, I, I'm a big, big music guy. Uh, people might not know that about me because I don't talk about it too much. But you know, been playing guitar forever, I was in a couple bands, uh, and you know, my music taste and my whole love and interest in music it, that started with MTV back when it actually was music television. So that's my first pick, Ty. What's yours? Uh, my first pick would also be from the music realm. It is uh, Henry Rollins, uh, singer of Black oh, Flag uh, and of the Rollins Band, spoken word guy uh, as well. Uh, one of these guys who like had all these quotes that I'm like, yeah, I feel that, like I get it. And even as an adult, there's a there's a, he has one quote that has always stuck with me. Um, you know, people know that I'm not like a I didn't come from a you know a, a Ivy League school or even any school. I dropped out of college twice. Uh, but he has a quote that he said, uh, I'm not, it's, I'm paraphrasing here. Forgive me. It's, he's like, I'm aware of where I come from and how quickly I can go back to what it was. That's why I work as hard as I do. And I was like, holy shit, that relates to what I feel like every day where it's like, I'm like, I'm not the, I'm not a legacy person. I have to work stupidly hard for everything just to, just to get in the room. So Rollins was one of those guys, man. And just when he was a black flag, too, he was just a psycho, you know, like, and, and, <laughs> and I just really enjoyed uh, everything. He's a guy and who I looks like, like he's looking at a guy who looks like his neck could explode at any moment. That's yes. how I look at Henry Rollins. Yes. And Sorry, uh, so I, I just think like, he's a guy who I think just really like influenced a lot of like the attitude. I love, I love how he conducts himself too, like the tours that he does. Um, the trips overseas for like soldiers going to like dangerous areas. He doesn't care. Like he just kind of, he does his own path. He's carved it out. And you know, he's one of these guys who has, has extended his uh, interests and his abilities beyond uh, just one thing that he was known for. So that's always cool to me. Yeah. No, he's, he seems like he's very, I don't know if influential is the right word, but he's like very like, like he's very cultured and people like sort of like look up to him in a way or like they really like in the music community and just in pop culture in general. It's like, he's just, he's not that well known uh, in like the mainstream, I suppose, but like, he's very, he seems very extremely well respected probably for the reasons that you're describing. So right. yeah, no, that's a good pick. Henry Rollins. Uh, all right. So my second pick, I'll continue. I'll, I'll pick, I'll, I'll give you a person. Uh, that would be uh, George Carlin, the late comedic legend. Um, I'm also big, big into stand-up comedy. Been for a long time, and um, I got a lot of great. Uh, I have a lot of favorite comedians these days. There's a lot of great ones out there that were inspired by George Carlin. George Carlin's one. Of, you know, you, you could say he's one of the two or three best to ever do it. 
Um, if you want to, if you wonder like what, how I feel about like politics and all that, it's usually what George Carlin would say, which is generally like, you know, they all suck and they can't be trusted, which is basically his whole bit. Um, and like people always say like, a, he, he's a guy that would have been good to have around alive in the last like five years or so with all this craziness going on. He would have been great to have. Um, but he unfortunately died in 2008 before it got, before it started to get real crazy culturally in America. Um, so you know, he dipped out at probably, probably at the right time for his sake, but he would have been, he would have been great to have around. And like, he, he was the first for watching him do stand up was like a leap forward for me in terms of like what was possible to, to just say in general, let, let alone like say on stage or say at a comedy show and, and to go in, into detail on like history of politics or whatever, and then switch to like 10 minutes of fart jokes. Like he could, he could like joke about anything, and like he he had bits where like anything could be funny, and there are bits that you might look back on and say they sort of cringe a little bit, or bits that didn't really hold up. But he was just he was so prolific. I guess you're just eventually going to have bits like that. But um, you know, like like Bill Burr and guys like that always say George Carlin was a huge influence on them. And I, you know, he, when I first saw him, it blew my mind because I didn't I'd never heard someone talk like that. Uh, so yeah, but so he special place in my heart for George Collin. He's in my personal hall of fame. So what, what's, what's your next pick? So my next one is kind of weird. It's a little, it's a little off the beaten path here. Uh, I don't have these numbered by the way. I just, I just did them like, no, it's you know, fine. It's not, We're not drafting. We're just, you know, yeah. Uh, myspace.com was Ooh. our first <laughs> jump. It was our first jump into the idea of talking to uh, strangers that we knew, but we didn't actually know. Like, oh, they went to, like, the high school nearest, the middle school nearest, whatever, like, whatever it was, like, back in 2004. Uh, 2004, I was, in, I was in, like, eighth grade. Uh, yeah, so, so yeah, so that was, like, our first jump into, uh, but it also exposed us to so many bands that we didn't know about because they had MySpace band pages. It exposed us to... Um, the idea of communicating in a way that wasn't instant messenger, uh, photos yep. uploading. Here's another thing that MySpace taught us, though. It learned, it taught us how to code. A lot of us didn't know how to code, and then MySpace came along. You're like, I got to design my MySpace. I got to make it so the background's yeah. back, but the text is gold and red, and I got to do this. We all learned how to code because of MySpace. And the other thing too is that Tom Anderson came in, made his money, and left. A a Hall of Famer, if there ever was one, Tom Anderson. And his invention, MySpace, the right way to social media. I seriously, he didn't. I, I wouldn't say he did anything to ruin ruin uh, society with social media. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would he's say like it's mining all, your data and selling it to like right. back scratchers. Yeah, <laughs> it's all it's all Zuckerberg's fault, if you ask me. It all it all traces back to that guy. And ironically, he says in the movie The Social Network, "How's that? How's that idea different from uh, MySpace?" And uh, yeah. apparently, good enough for you to steal it. From those goof, from those goofy twins, uh, and all their hijinks. Great move of the social network, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, like I didn't use MySpace that much back in the day. Uh, I was more, I was like already learning how to blog and stuff, and like, and I was already on Facebook. I probably, I kind of like missed the boat on MySpace, but MySpace was like, yeah, well, it was like a good like early platform for digital like creation. You know, it was like early for podcasts, like. I just mentioned Bill Burr. His podcast, the the Monday Morning Podcast, started as him just going on MySpace and talking into into like a flip phone for two minutes, and then like somehow so uploading I didn't, it I didn't to an know internet that. server. <laughs> you know, like yeah, like I'm pretty sure that's where it started. But yeah, no, Tom, Tom from MySpace is a legend for not uh, you know not ruining society 
with his social media creation and now it's sort it's of very like kind a, of him it's weird how there's like artifacts of the internet now like early memes and myspace and it's like it's just they're like the ancient hieroglyphics of the internet it's so weird to, to think about it that way with, i know you're like, like hey remember peanut butter jelly time and everyone's like what i'm like uh never mind nothing right uh, like I, we're I, a few years away from it. we're a few years away from tiktok being old like that's how quickly things are keep moving here i mean i wish i could keep up with it but i'm starting to fall behind in my old age I really, I, I actually can't wait for TikTok to go away because TikTok is ridiculous where you have like these people who like, they try to make these like thoughtful posts, but like they're doing like a dance. <laughs> like they're like dancing and the text is like 8,000 immigrants a day are killed by, and I'm like, all right, why are you dancing? You shouldn't that be is, dancing to this. Please don't bizarre. dance during this. It, it is bizarre. Yeah. It's b- bizarre behavior with people on TikTok. And even if yeah. people aren't dancing and they're just making like serious points, it's usually it's just like you're either stupid or, or psychotic. Some of these people, like I've never, I don't know that I've ever seen just a totally normal person on that, on that app. Um, so hopefully it doesn't, you know, ruin the whole country, but it's probably just a select. Uh, uh, it's so hard not for me to make fun of people, regardless of their age. When I see them doing a TikTok dance in public, like, I'm oh, like oh, that's, that's the worst. I mean, like, come on. brother can, can F off. Uh, doing <laughs> yeah, TikTok dances on Sean Taylor's number, and yeah. like in uh, putting up random restaurant on blast. You know, he's the only person uh, I would have been okay with the Bills winning if the Bills put Jackson Mahomes through a table. That was the only scenario in which I was okay with the Bills winning that game. Is that if Bills Mafia went full Bubba Ray and Devon on Jackson for TikTok? If he did, I don't know if he actually did anything on the field there. Like, I really think like if he did something, they would have at least had like at least had a, a sex toy thrown at him. So they would have done yeah. something if it's he true. was like dancing in their face like that that might have gotten ugly um, yeah well the game right. was in kansas city so that probably helped oh oh that's true yeah but i know, keep forgetting that it, i keep thinking it was in buffalo too honestly because yeah because they were on such a roll at the end of the year it felt like everything was yeah. going through buffalo um, josh right, allen so, made so many good plays that they awarded him home field by default he was so no, good they awarded him three super bowl rings you didn't hear about that <laughs> yeah yeah so he's, he's so good he's already passed Mahomes, he's just. It's just not great. fair that he didn't get the ball in overtime. Okay, <laughs> he didn't well, get the ball. The okay, defense I'm just okay needs to it. not give up eighty yards. That's all I got to do. It's not that, well, it's not that mean, big. Nobody, you can't. Those guys, <laughs> you can't. Nobody's getting stopped at that point. Um, uh, but like, yeah, I mean, now we're going on a tangent on that one game in overtime. It's like just get rid of sudden death. Like sudden death, I always thought was a little weird in football because you mm-hmm. like. Logically speaking, you're talking like it's a it's you know you got to play defense and offense. It's like okay, well then make the Chiefs play defense too. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody, both sides get 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 a chance and whatever. So just get rid of the sudden death. I'd, sudden death never made sense to me in football. It makes sense in hockey because everyone on the ice is playing offense and defense and playing every all three zones of the ice. And with football, it's like you have to- two totally different units on each side of the ball. So I'd be okay with like all of them getting a chance, but it's always it always comes from a place of like a a, a, a salty fan being like, why my guy didn't get a chance? You I know, did. Like that's obviously the origin of it. With Josh, uh, Chiefs are like, nope. I the, the rules are are fine the way they are. That's we have always loved now. them. We have always loved these rules. Um, well, I, the only I did hear an interesting one that I was like, ooh, I kind of like that. Was the first team to score eight points wins? Eight. Eight. Okay. So you get it. So if you get go down and get a touchdown, you could go, and then all you gotta do is stop a two point conversion. Like at that point, it's like, all right, defense, we're giving you a really good chance here to not screw it up. Right. That's not bad. 
Yeah, first team eight good. points. Because then if the other team does the same thing, then then you can end the game on a field goal, and it's like okay, then then what are we doing? We can't because it is it does get to a point. It's like you got to the game. The thing has to end. It's like it has to end. It has to like, end. Because like, are we gonna have? A, are they gonna make it so everyone gets the ball once, and then like so then both teams will or like one team will kick a field goal, the other team will score a touchdown, and then they'll be like, well, no, but then then they should have gotten another chance to score. So like it's never gonna end. Exactly. Like, you gotta yeah, end you the game all somehow. Day. But I'm okay with the clock. I'm okay with just letting the clock run out. And so, like, mm-hmm. the sudden death has always been a little wonky. Well, it's just – I'm it, okay it, with it the way it is. I'm not outraged or anything. But if they change the rule to, to get rid of sudden death, I think that would make sense. It's also just funny because we had – two weeks ago, we had the Chargers and the, and the, and the uh, Raiders go the full overtime. And was anyone – I mean, we were sitting there like, this is great. We want more of it, but like, was anyone like, "This isn't fair"? I need to see. I need to see Derek Carr get the ball again. This isn't right. You know what I mean? Like, I like right. it, it. Totally depends on who is that quarterback. No one is having this conversation if Ryan Tannehill's Titans were denied a chance the ball in, in overtime. No one is saying that no. nearly the way they are it, on yeah, Monday it's morning. It's because it was just so fun to watch. It's like I don't. Right. I want to keep having fun. Yeah. Well, you can't have. Get everything you want. This has been a Sports Hub Underground tangent. We went from MySpace to talking about TikTok to getting in a quick thing about that game and the overtime rules. But um, uh, we each right. have one more pick to give Ty. We're, we're, we're up against it, but we'll, we'll go a little overtime here. My third pick, and this might be another controversial pick. This is another pick that's uh, in a specific time frame, specific era. My third pick for my Hall of Fame is Sports Center. And mm. uh, again, I am not talking about today's sports center which features a bunch of annoying a-holes squawking at each other and just trying to come up with the most outrageous take possible and the other guy going oh my god i can't believe you said that and like that's like what most of their uh, original programming is these days sports center's still fine um but it's not it's not what it used to be with this terms of the lineup um i'm talking about uh, i guess and this is again like it was probably the same you know throughout uh the, the early years up until when i started watching it uh, you know, when I first started getting into sports and uh, sports sports was in, was in the late nineties and the late nineties, early two thousand sports center lineups. It was just straight fire. Like every, every episode, no matter who was on, I would watch, I'd watch like multiple times a day just cause to watch, to see different anchors, you know, like um, uh, Dan Patrick, uh, Stuart Scott, God rest his soul. Uh, Scott Van Pelt's still around, but I mean, he was one of my favorites from back then. And like Steve Levy's been on there for a while they used to have Chris Berman on a lot more back when he still had it. Uh, it was very fun back in the day, and it's like it was very fun to watch back in the day. It was most of the, most of the day sports, and it was just them uh, showing highlights and then doing their sound effects and wacky hijinks with the way they talk and all that and all their catchphrases. It was very fun. It made sports fun and enjoyable. And it, I think it, it was that was part of me wanted to be do something like that. And that's like, okay, this is where I think I could enjoy talking about sports for a living. I could do this for fun. Uh, it, it didn't turn out that way. I didn't think uh, it would turn into the way what it is now with, uh, you know, everybody screaming at each other on social media. It wasn't, wasn't, wasn't uh, like that back in the, the late 90s for sure, in the pre-social media age. So uh, I think I got a little more than I bargained for getting into sports media with the way it is now as opposed to if I got in there in the late 90s, 2000s. But um. But that that era of Sports Center was a huge influence for me, and it probably was a huge influence for a lot of people my age or in this business. So, I don't, did you watch a lot of Sports Center as a kid? 
I did. Um, and this is back I, when I, they still had the, the NHL. Like the, the NHL was big on ESPN back then. So that was a yeah. I used to. I mean, that was what I would do every morning when I'd be getting ready to go to school. Uh, I had a TV in my bedroom, and it would have like the basic kind of cable. So you got like the first like fifty channels, and Sports Center was like or ESPN was like channel forty nine. I think forty nine. So, no. Yeah, so I would I would watch it as I was like getting ready for school, um, and yeah, I, I I enjoyed it. I mean, it's funny. Like I used to like when I would come home from school in the winter, and I wouldn't have practice or anything like that. I I would always watch. Uh, you would have like from like two to four p.m. You'd have like King of Queens or one of like one of those shows on like one of the channels. Yeah. And then, like, at 5 o'clock, it was around the horn. 5.30 was PTI, which I didn't watch as much because I didn't know what they were, the hell they were talking about half the time. And it was no game show concept to it, like, around the horn. Um, and then, like, Seinfeld and The Simpsons and whatever. And then I'd watch the Late Night Sports Center, you know, after the games or whatever. So it, it's, it's funny to think about, like, how, how much all that stuff shaped, you know, what our interests were and, and everything like that. But I remember being a big ESPN guy. Uh, big ESPN kid, you know, in the early 2000s, late 90s or the 2000s, and then kind of just fell off because, you know, the tenor of it kind of changed. It was about people yelling and screaming, and yeah. I was like, ah, I don't yeah. like this anymore. <laughs> and it was like the LeBron network for, for a while. Yeah. It's yeah, not exactly. that anymore because he's old and he's, you know. But, yeah, it used to be like all LeBron all the time. and then, then that's Yeah, it was all LeBron and Tiger Woods, and I didn't really care about Tiger Woods because I didn't care about golf. So that was like a thing that I was like, all right, I don't really care about this, so I'm going to yeah. stop doing it. <laughs> I, I, be, I got suckered in by the whole ESPN hates hockey thing, so then I just stopped watching ESPN for a while, you know. Oh, that was probably when I stopped watching too, when they stopped yeah. broadcasting hockey. That's when it started to get bad, I think. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Like, it started to go downhill once they started to – and then once they stopped doing like the, the classic lineups and the, just the way they used to do it on sports center, that's where, I mean, I, that, in my opinion, that's when it went downhill. I'm sure there's plenty of people that still like sports center or like it the way it is now, but not me. Uh, I don't, I don't right. like the, I don't like the way sports media in general is right now. I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Yes. Um, but that's why we got the sports up underground because we get to talk about uh, what, whatever we want, but we got to mix in the sports. We get it, but uh, you know, we like to you know mix it up a little bit. Uh, oh, Ty, you have one more pick. I do. Go ahead. Uh, my pick is a professional one. A lot of people might, a lot of people probably know him. Uh, Rob Bradford from across the street, our competitor, guy that gave me my first big break in the industry, uh, taught me a lot about interviewing athletes, getting to know athletes. Um, just kind of one of those guys who was was really helpful for me in my first few years. Because I mean, I went I went from blogs to effectively mainstream media, right? In the blink right. of an eye. And I was like, this is stressful. There's a lot more people reading yeah. this and there's a lot more people listening. And same thing with me. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I was it's like, how the hell do you first. do this? Like, I was like, oh. I was used to writing for an audience of, um, I would get like 90,000 page views a month. Like when I was independent and I was like, this is cool. This is nice. And I went yeah. from that to like getting like, you know, half a million a, a week. And I'm like, I, this is stressful. I don't, yeah, how do you do this? <laughs> That's a lot of people. I could just imagine a, a, a arena full of people reading my. Shit. Yeah, exactly, and that was and that was hard. I mean, because at first, you know, I think writing is something that is is in a way it's like intimate, right? Like you have an audience that you can relate to, and then you level up, and now you have to bring in that new audience that doesn't get your jokes, they don't get your style, they don't understand 
everything about you. And it's kind of weird. Like it, it was very, it was very different, unusual. So to have a guy like that, who, who had been with papers, been with websites, been with mag, um, you know, magazines, uh, webs, like radio stations, you know, whatever, who, who kind of knew the tricks of the trade, uh, was so helpful for someone like me. And, and, uh, so that was great. I know he's a competitor and it seems weird to wax poetic about someone that we, we, you know, quote competing. Well, like, yeah, but, but that's but how he's it such is. a good guy, you know? Right. No, everyone, I've, everyone says that about Rob Brab. I've never met him, but, um, yeah. that's, I his mean, that's, coaching tree is like the, is like the, the Belichick the, tree. Really? There's like, there's so, so many all, of us who work suck, there. You're saying? No, well, I mean, yeah, but like people pick off the, 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 the tree, you know, to, to, yeah, for, yeah. for help for, they're like, Oh, they work there. Okay. We need them. Like, it's kind of crazy, like Alex Spear, uh, Jim McCaffrey. Um, you know, there's there's uh, uh, there's a basketball writer too. Name escaped me right now. I'm sorry, uh, but there's there's quite a few of us who who were there or learned from him and then went on to do other things. So uh, great guy though, unbelievable guy, um, uh, and and an awesome teacher for twenty year old twenty two-year-old uh, idiots who needed to learn more about the industry. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, I, I was going to say, that's how it is in Boston sports media. I guess. People work at different places. And, you know, the money, like Maz wrote for the, the Globe and the Herald. So it's like, that's just sort right. of how it goes, I suppose. And not like, and you've worked for both radio stations in the city. I guess that's just, that's just how it is. You know, but, but um, yeah, all right. It, yeah, Felger and Mauser. That's my introduction to both of them. Well, my parents oh, right. had a yeah. Herald. Felger started yelling on the yeah. weekends at Steve Buckley on, on our competitor. You know, yeah, so like exactly. that's just that's just how it goes. You're going to run into different people, and you might be a competing companies, competing companies, and all that. But um, yeah, that's always good to have a guy that that is willing to like sort of build you up and, and teach you different things because like you didn't have to do all, all that stuff. You could have just exactly you know, you around or whatever, but. You know, good for him to do that. All right. Shout out to Rob Rafford. Um, uh, all right. Well, that's our episode. That was a good ep. Uh, we, we went through our personal Hall of Fame. Uh, we talked a lot of hockey. And, uh, yeah, that was fun, Tom. I'm going to give you a chance for some closing thoughts. Uh, my closing thought uh, is uh, I'm very hungry. And I'm very excited to eat oh. dinner. I don't even know what I'm going to have tonight, but I'm already very excited about it. I, oh, I also readjusted my sleep schedule on purpose so that I uh, can do these late night games, which not go. an issue, but I've been noticing this thing where I fall asleep randomly uh, watching hockey at 1130 PM. I can't do that tonight because the game will be happening. I need to write about it. Yeah, I know that's me most nights uh, with anything. Um, yeah. Yeah. So if you're listening to this, it's probably Thursday. So it's going to, it's the day after the Bruins play the Colorado avalanche in Colorado, 10 PM Eastern start if I'm not mistaken. So yeah. Yes. TNT uh, game. Congratulations to you if you were able to stay up for that game. But if not, uh, you know, we might, there might be something worth talking about on next week's pod. Uh, but for now, thanks for listening. Uh, if you made it this far, thanks. I love you. It's the sports of underground podcast. I'm Matt Dolph. He's Ty Anderson. Once again, you can get us at Apple podcasts, Spotify, Google podcasts, you can also get us every single week, every Thursday at 98.5thesportsup.com. Go to the podcast section. Uh, otherwise, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you again next week.
it's Maz. Are you tired of small inconveniences that always turn into big headaches at home? Well, my friends at Rodenizer Home Services can make small fixes like repairing leaky faucets, adding or replacing electrical outlets and lights, or clearing slow drains that will provide big comfort for your home. And with over 10,000 five-star reviews, Rodenizer's expert technicians are just a call away and ready to fix those inconveniences at your home. Experience the difference with Rodenizer Home Services. Visit Rodenizer.com to schedule today. That's Rodenizer Home Services. Nice people, great service since 1928.